AI is one of the most, can we say, hype-ridden topics in business today. But do we really understand the implications of AI for business, the implications on the economy, the implications for our culture, and the role of the government in addressing these questions? I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. And today we are speaking with somebody who is well qualified to discuss these issues. Before we start, I want to say thank you to IPsoft. We are in their AI Experience Lab in New York City, and I am so grateful to IPsoft for supporting CXO Talk and making this possible. Paul Doherty is the Chief Innovation and Technology Officer at Accenture. My job at Accenture is, as you said, Chief Innovation and Technology Officer. And uh, you know what uh, my boss, our CEO, Pierre Nanterm, looks, looks for me to do is look at uh, what's happening with technology and how do we make sure Accenture, our company of you know, 435,000 people, $35 billion in revenue and, and growing, how do we make sure we're even better positioned for technology a few years from now? But what you teed up, artificial intelligence, we believe is what I call the alpha trend. It's the trend driving other trends and shaping what's happening with other technologies. So yeah, yeah there is, it is overhyped and there is too much hype around it, but we believe there's also a huge amount of potential and reality behind that hype. And that's why it's really important to have this type of conversation, talk about you know, the real versus the hype and separate the two. So what is the real? AI's been around for 60 years. The, co the term was coined in 1956 at a famous conference at Dartmouth University. It's bringing it to action because of three things that changed dramatically. One was uh, advances in computing. So we have computing power to run much more powerful algorithms, cloud computing. So that's computing data. Uh, we now have data at scale and the cost of data uh, is, is declining precipitously. And we have new sources of data, IoT, video, all sorts of new information, petabytes and exabytes of new in, uh, information flowing into enterprises. So compute data and then algorithms. We had some algorithmic advances that we made in the 2010-2012 timeframe that uh, allowed us to take techniques that had been gestating for a while and really gave them a new life. Things like back propagation and deep learning, if you track these things, that led to a resurgence in, uh, in applicability in fields like vision and speech and natural language understanding that propelled us forward over the last five years. So that's why it's happening now and, and why we're seeing this, this really resurgence of the 60-year-old technology. So you're talking about faster computers, more data, and algorithms. The real interesting thing with AI is where can you do different things that you couldn't have even envisioned doing before? An example you know, is, is work we're doing in the life sciences industry. We're using new deep learning algorithms to match uh, molecular compound characteristics to therapeutic treatment, uh, therapeutic treatments to accelerate the matching process between disease and treatment and accelerate time to market for new treatments for patients, improving health outcomes, saving lives by, by solving problems in ways you couldn't solve before. And that's you know, doing different things and where some of the real interesting potential of AI comes in. Okay, so it's not just a matter of efficiency doing the same thing faster, but it's fundamentally enabling businesses to do different things that will lead to different kinds of outcomes. There's always an efficiency benefit, cloud computing, all these things, all the, every technology has allowed us to do 
some things more efficiently, and then, it, then it, they open up new capabilities. AI is no, no different, and a lot of the initial applications of AI have been on the efficiency side, because that's often where businesses start, where we can build business cases, we can get our ROI, and that's not a bad thing. That's it's often where it makes sense to start, but we're at a stage with AI. It's still the very early stages. We should talk more about how this is maturing. Uh, but we're seeing the real potential being in where you can really you know, reimagine, is the word we use, where, where can you reimagine these different things you can do and take your business in a different direction than you could before you had this technology available. So how can businesses reimagine? This seems to me one of the fundamentally most important topics. We talk about this third generation of, of work that we're in, a third generation of work or uh, business that we're in. The first generation was uh, Henry, Henry Ford and Frederick Taylor, scientific management assembly lines, where, we, where we, we matched up machines with the hands of people and automated physical labor. That was about 100, you know, 100 years ago. Then uh, toward the end of the last century, in the, the, the 1990s, we, we had re-engineering, which was automating the knowledge worker. It was still people as part of processes. We made our flow charts for re-engineering processes. It was people in their, their minds and knowledge as part of a process. That was the second generation. We think this third generation, what reimagine means, is it's not a people in a static process and a sequential process like we saw with the hands and minds through the, those two first generations. It's about how do you really engage the human capability of a person to be creative, to be empathetic, to improvise, and use our human capabilities uh, combined with the power of technology to work in a very different way. And that enables this third generation of work that we're just entering into where you can reimagine the way you work and it's more, it's more agile, more flexible, personalized and adaptive way of structuring your business. And that's where the real opportunity comes in for organizations. The title of your book is Human Plus Machine. Co-author Jim Wilson, who's uh, one of our, our fantastic uh, uh, colleague at Accenture and leads our, our technology research in Accenture, we were sitting down about two years ago, and, and what we noticed is there was this meme going on and this discussion about you know, automation and AI, and, you know, robots were going to, you know, on the one hand, take over the world. We had that going on, Terminator types of scenarios. And on the other hand, you had this, um, this meme of it's going to put all the people out of work, and maybe we need to be preparing for a new leisure class because none of us need to work anymore, and what are the implications of that? And we, don't, we didn't believe any of that was true, and we believe that... Uh, the real power was the plus, was not humans versus machines, humans, uh, machines fighting humans or taking over humans or putting, putting humans out of work. It was the combination of the two creating new, more human potential for us. And I, as I said, with this third generation, we believe we're moving into a more human era that emphasizes our, our human characteristics. But it's about using technology a different way. So that's why we wrote the book. And human plus machine is about that combination. And that the other thing I'd say on it is I strongly believe that the more powerful technology is and the more human-like the technology is, the more it enhances our ability to be human. If we have, we're sitting in Amelia City, if we have technologies like Amelia that can communicate with us in very human ways and understanding what we're doing and even having an emotional intelligence, emotional AI component to them, that's powerful and allows us to communicate with these machines more effectively. And uh, that's the human plus machine that we really tried to get across with the title of the book and, and the research in the book. So let's use this example of, of a cognitive agent. So to your point on the call centers, what we're, you know, that's one of the most active areas we're seeing right now. And I should back up and say that AI is the fastest growing trend and, and part of our business that we've ever seen. I've been with Accenture 32 years. So I've been through, I started on punch cards. I've been through all these trends. This is the fastest growing part of our business that we've seen. So it's being applied for real clients. 
and one of the fastest growing areas is in customer service and in call centers. But a great example there from one of the companies we're working with that runs a very, very large customer service organization is they're using a virtual agent technology to improve their customer, uh, their customer operations. It's offloading some of the routine tasks. It's leading in the areas where they've applied it, which is, you know, let's say, 10 to 15% of the, of the calls. They're seeing a 50% customer satisfaction rating. They're seeing, um, they're seeing a 10% less customer churn, and they're seeing an eight times improvement in some of their, um, in some of their product reselling, cross-selling, and things like that. Those are pretty, you know, pretty important benefits, and it's enabling the human agents to really deal with solving human problems, the more complex cases, and the cases that require their human intervention you know, in a, more, uh, in a more efficient fashion. So that's the kind of application that we see. In your research, did you uncover traits of organizations that make them more amenable than others to being successfully able to adopt these new kinds of technologies? Well, we do see some, some things that separate the, the, the early leaders from, you know, from, from others uh, that are applying AI. And uh, we talk in the book about a five-part framework that we think th that we see those leaders following. One thing that we see differently is a, a leadership-driven, senior leadership-driven mindset around applying AI differently to the organization. And uh, so it's not just AI at the edges doing small things. It's taking on something that matters to the organization, support at the senior executive level, changing some of the behavior and culture in the organization, do something significant, like say the digital twin example that I mentioned earlier. So this mindset and reimagination is one consistent thing we see. There's also a need for experimentation, which is maybe a little hard, you know, surprising or hard thing for some organizations to do. But those that are doing this well don't spend a lot of time doing the grand elaborate design for it and, uh, and uh, architect this big program. They experiment. They test it out. They, uh, they shut things down that don't work. And they learn from those things and move ahead, you know, through experimentation. One of the greatest examples of this, I think, is Amazon, you know, who uh, who's done a, a, a tremendous amount with AI in their business as well as in their in their cloud services. And if you look at Amazon's Go stores that they implemented recently, they started small. They used they tested on employees first. They they improvised and innovated with the technology, and now they're scaling it and advancing it more rapidly. And I think that's a great example of behavior that we see consistently with leading organizations. It seems like this is one of the key differences between AI and, say, efficiency-driven technologies. The need to think about the mindset of the organization, the culture of the organization, and I'm sure there are implications for talent as well. Yeah, uh, huge implications for talent. And I think that's one of the, the biggest things we see and maybe one of the questions that requires the most new work to answer. Because we, we looked at this a lot in the book, but I think talent is the, uh, talent around AI is the, it's really the issue for us and, and the generation that's coming. This is a, a long-term transition to AI. It's happening fast, but this isn't going to be over in three years. We're going to be applying this technology you know, for, for, for many years to come. And the talent issue is on two levels, and I think that's why it's challenging. One level is the talent for AI itself, the talent to do AI. And that's what a lot of people focus on. They, they raise their hand and say, I need more machine learning experts. I need people who do deep learning, who know convolutional neural networks, whatever the technology might be. And yes, that's important. You need those people and access to that talent in your organization. I think we'll solve that in a, in a lot of different ways. And those are relatively small numbers of talent you need to do those things. The bigger issue is not the, the talent for AI, but it's the talent that uses AI. 
how do you how do you change the culture and train the people that need to use AI for these different types of jobs? How do you make sure they they understand it, they embrace it, they have the right background skills to understand it the right way? And that's why we talk about eight skills at the end of our book. The eight skills we think we need to start developing in people so that they're more ready to to incorporate AI in the jobs they do. Not necessarily the deep AI experts, but those that'll use AI, which is most people, as they do their jobs in the future. So, Paul, you've touched now on an element of organizational readiness, including the data. What are the other dimensions of organizational preparedness that companies need to think about? I think we're at a point where organizations need to think about executive level responsibility for AI in a different way. And I've talked before and would emphasize again, I think it's time for organizations to think about, uh, do I need a chief AI officer? And that doesn't mean that every organization needs to get out and name a new C-level post, but you better have some accountabilities at a senior level, uh, senior management level in your organization for some things that matter in terms of readiness for AI. And the three things that I put into that bucket to think about in a chief AI officer type of responsibility are first, uh, talent. And it's not just the talent, that's not just the machine learning and, and technical talent, but somebody who's thinking about the workforce impact of these technologies more broadly. And that's one big responsibility in terms of the readiness, being ready on both ends of that. We find, on that, in that sense, centers of excellence and those types of capabilities are good ways to get started. A second thing that you need to put into that chief AI, AI officer you know, readiness category is the data, which we've talked about already. But one thing a lot of organizations are starting or are struggling with as they start is the data is siloed. It's in different organizations. It's uh, hard to pull together. They haven't had one view of data governance across the organization. So we're working with many organizations who are starting to look at that differently and, again, create a data officer or maybe a chief AI officer, depending on how you view it, to pull those data sources together and govern it in a different way because AI runs across your business and you need to view it that way. And then the third responsibility, uh, talent, data, and then responsible AI, is the third broad category that I think organizations need to make sure they're ready for. And I think the debates of the day that we're seeing in the headlines around some of the tech companies are emblematic of companies needing to think more about these responsible AI issues. And I break them down into accountability. You need to think about where where you're going to be comfortable with machines being accountable for things and where humans need to be in the loop. And there's very few things you want to trust to machines. So you really need to think about the human level accountability. Uh, Transparency, which gets into explainability as well. Where where is it okay for a machine to decide something uh, and you not not to know why? That's a big topic we can talk about more if you're interested. So accountability, transparency, fairness. Uh, There's a big issue with data being biased. And I can talk about some examples of that. There's been some public examples where biased data has put companies at risk and put consumers at risk, and that, that's unacceptable. We need to make sure that that uh, that um, fairness is enforced. And finally, honesty. Um, you know, if you have a, a self-driving car, it should follow the speed limit. It shouldn't know. It probably can sense very easily where the traffic zones are and where the police are, and et cetera, and game the system, but it shouldn't. We should be designing our AI systems to be honest and follow the rules that we've set for society. So as uh, Isaac Asimov had his three roles of... Uh, Three rules, rules of, uh, of safe robotics. Those would, are what I'd say are the kind of four principles of responsible AI that organizations need to think about if they want to be ready for AI. And uh, whether you have a chief AI officer or not, somebody at a senior level of your organization is to be thinking about and accountable for those things. So for a company that is looking at this today and they know that they have to address it, address this set of issues, 
What should they be doing now today? And we're at the very early stages in terms of really the commercial uh, commercial use of AI. You know, like I said, the big advances were five-ish years ago in this in the sixty-year-old field in terms of big, you know, really big imp- impact and applicability to business. And we're really seeing one branch of AI really being applied right now. It's the it's the data-fed machine learning branch of AI, which is one branch. There's another whole, you know, the other whole branches around symbolic reasoning and in, in truly modeling the, the 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 human intellectual process. Uh, that was that was best um, commercialized earlier in expert systems, which which kind of had a, you know, had a resurgence, then flamed out uh, back in the, in the 90s. But those techniques still have a lot of promise. And as we look at AI, the current path we're on with machine learning, deep learning. They're fantastic. A lot of potential to exploit them a tremendous degree still for business. So no end in sight for that. But we're going to see a lot of new innovation that's going to require a different set of disciplines and understanding as we roll together uh, other forms of AI and, and look at things like artificial general intelligence and other domains that come into play here. So I just want to make that point that that it's not just about looking at what's here today. It's about, it just as we talked about innovation earlier, you have to look at how AI itself will change and innovate. It's going to change dramatically over the next three, five, and 10 years. To your point on what, what do you do today if you're a business, uh, I think uh, I'd go back to you know, three, I guess, three key areas that I think every business needs to think about as they, as they deal with this. First of all, think about the, the imagination, the reimagination. What problems do you want to solve? And think about the problems that I think where you can do things differently and really impact your business in, a, in an interesting way. What are the hard problems, differentiators in your business that you could experiment and apply this to to make a difference? So reimagination is the first point is that I'd start with. Second point would be more human technology makes us better as humans. So focus on your people. And the best thing you can do is invest in your people, not just the AI developers. Invest in the rest of your workforce to start establishing the learning platforms. Because with the innovation that's coming, if, you, if your view of your workforce is I'm going to flush and replace them every time technology changes and as AI changes their jobs, you're going to, be, you're going to have a big problem. If you take a view of I'm going to invest in my workforce to move them along to incorporate these capabilities as they go, which is our approach at Accenture, then, then you're going to have a sustainable basis for the future. So the human plus machine learning-based platform that you build into your business is the second thing I'd start focusing on. And the third thing is really, really take, take these responsible AI uh, capabilities to heart and look at you know whether it's chief AI officer or something else that you do look at how you build those into your organization to make sure you don't you know get into some of the traps as you look to apply AI to your business I can't let you go without asking you to just elaborate more on the investment in the people mm-hmm. when you say build a learning platform what does that mean we've done an interesting thing at Accenture. So we we uh, we have we're a talent-based organization. So it's, it's as imperative to us. We have 435,000 people around the world, and um, but we're continually recycling them. Half of those people are working on technologies that, that didn't exist five years ago. So we're continuously recycling the skills of the people, and so learning learning platforms and and uh, continual learning is part of what we're all about. Uh, but one thing we've done using AI, which I think there's where there's a lot of promise, is to use AI itself to solve these problems. One of our researchers did an interesting thing. He developed a machine learning application that took the job experience of any one individual, looked at their resume, looked at what they've done, uh, compared it to external job postings and projections on, on technology. And this machine learning algorithm, this AI tool, can predict your, your, your or my uh, obsolescence in what period of time. They'll say, you know, Paul, your skills are become irrelevant in about 18 months, time to start moving on. And, but then it doesn't stop there. It says, based on what you know, 
here's the adjacencies that you should start learning because that's what'll be helpful to you in the next transition. Now this is a, something that's at the early stages, it's kind of a beta tool, but I think it points the path forward to the kind of investment we should, should be making to use AI itself to invest in helping our people make the transition. So those kind of guidance capabilities combined with platforms, you know, learning platforms that allow people to develop these new skills are really the future. And again, why we're donating the proceeds of the book to these types of skill development programs. Okay. Paul Doherty, Chief Innovation and Technology Officer of Accenture. Thank you so much. Thank you.